Hello and welcome to Women Decode STEM. I am your host Neha Savanur. In today's episode, I am joined by Hiranmayi Shankaravaram, who currently works as an assistant professor at R B College of Architecture, Bengaluru. Hiran holds a bachelor's degree in architecture and a master's degree in urban development and management from Institute of Housing and Urban Studies in Rotterdam. She moved back to the city of Coimbatore in India in 2017 to pursue a collaborative research program named Building Inclusive Urban Communities. She has authored two cases as a part of her research and presented both the cases in several conferences nationally and internationally. After relocation to her hometown Bengaluru in 2019, Hiran aims at exploring the complexities of migration specific to the labor communities along with her duties as an academician. Full disclosure that Hiran and I are really good friends and we have known each other for over 10 years now, but this is literally the first time we'll be discussing anything to do with her work and I am super excited to learn about it and share it with all of you. Hi Hiran, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much Neha. Thank you for calling me on this. Awesome. So let's get started. First I want to talk a little bit about how you decided on your specialization after finishing undergraduate. So like any architecture student I think we look forward to practicing under a good architect or you know having this hands-on experience. on ground to the theoretical background we've had in our colleges and i made a conscious uh, decision to get into a smaller firm so that um as an intern or even as a junior architect you get to touch upon different aspects of architecture leave let alone design you also have a lot of experience on site so this is when i started my journey in a private firm called japcon architects I worked there for nearly 2 to 1/2 years and then as I was working I realized I needed to explore the other um, domains within architecture during practice is when I realized that my arena was in the urban sector I started uh, looking for different colleges and universities that were offering these degrees I wasn't very specific on planning uh, as such I was just looking at anything to do in the urban sector so then of course you had urban planning you had urban design as well so while doing this um I was I, I think I had by then streamlined that I wouldn't go to the United States I would limit myself to uh, Europe that has many reasons <clears throat> both the personal uh, front as well as in terms of the profession or in terms of the expertise that the land holds while doing this i did uh, apply for a lot of um, courses related to urban design and there was this one course called urban management and development in the netherlands under erasmus university there's a small department called the institute of housing and urban studies so they replied back saying that 
I have been accepted, then I... So this is the phase where you start uh, really deciding on which uh, holds the best prospect in terms of uh, growing professionally. So while doing that, I felt this course uh, was really exciting because we had professionals from all streams. So we had marketing agents, we had people uh, from the law background, we had economists, we had um, civil engineers, and of course, architects and planners. And all with the agenda of understanding the theory of urban dynamics, as well as uh, looking at some sort of a collaborative approach in finding solutions. So uh, this course really attracted me. And uh, that's how I landed up in Netherlands for the course. And this spanned for three semesters, that is one year. With the first semester, I think we dealt with only the theoretical concepts behind the urban urbanism in, in the world, in the global context. The next semester dealt with the specialization. So we were given uh, six different specializations that we could choose from. I selected urban strategies and planning because um, before reaching the Netherlands, my sort of... Um, idea for a research proposal or so-called uh, hypothesis was to look into smart cities and by then smart cities were just introduced in India and they had this grand plan of introducing smart cities in 100 different cities in India. So I was quite intrigued by it and I tried to understand the meaning behind it and you know so I wanted to develop uh, with that expertise. That's how um, I think in consultation of different peers and then also my uh, guide, I could choose this specialization of urban strategies and planning where I really looked into what smart city is all about. And then smart cities have been in Europe for the past, I think, 20, 30 years now. And it is very new in the Indian context. So how it has really translated or has it been literally translated or there are some adaptations. So these were the different uh, complexities that I wanted to look at. That's why I chose the specialization. And naturally, the next semester, my thesis or dissertation looked into the depths of uh, smart city and especially in a small town or a tier two city like Tumkur, which is very close to Bangalore, uh, the cosmopolitan uh, life of Bangalore. So we, I just wanted to look into one element under smart city, which is called citizen participation and how it really works in a complex uh, world that India already has. So that's how I developed my interests and streamlined my interests in this course. Was it an easy process to transition from studies in Europe to moving back to India and finding a job? Um, to be frank, it was not. The opportunity front in terms of... Um, the expertise that I had is very polarized in the Indian context. Let's say I have this expertise of urban strategies and planning. So that means I'm actually working at the policy level or governance issues or governance related you know, concerns. So uh, most of this sort of work happens at the central level, let's say in a place like New Delhi. So you have all the decision makers sitting in the center over there. And of course, it trickles down to the local planning authority at the city level as well. But more or less, these sort of jobs are in the government sector. Once I was back, 
I was sure I didn't want to get into this sector as yet because I felt I needed to do some groundwork to actually fit in that sector. That means understand my city more or understand the country more. Unlike urban planning or the technical uh, side of urban planning and urban design, the course that I did dealt mainly with the policy and the strategies involved in the policy. So in that sector, uh, like I said, it's mostly concentrated in the government uh, jobs or government related uh, projects. Uh, Once I got back, I think it was quite tough to find that sort of an entry into any of these uh, sectors. There are, of course, a lot of advisory institutions in Bangalore and in India that sort of capacitate the government officials. So there are many, but again, it's a bit of a struggle for a fresh graduate to get into such uh, institutes. As I was looking for jobs and I think I struggled for six months if I'm not wrong and uh, I tried all different opportunities there was even a trial to go back to architecture just to you know start off with something and then slowly shift to the expertise that I hold Uh, the strangest part is all the graduates from uh, who had came back to India like peers and all my friends we didn't know what to call ourselves because if you do urban planning you're called an urban planner if you do urban design you're called urban designer and these two fields had sort of set an ease amongst people that okay this is one part of architecture that people can do and there are urban designers around there are urban planners around Since we did a course in urban management, we had to call ourselves urban managers. I think people still don't know what an urban manager is in India. So I think even the qualification that we had after coming back took a toll on me and also a couple of my friends when we couldn't place ourselves in a so-called formal job. So yeah, it was difficult. And then we had to find our own ways of getting back to either practice or looking at other means of streamlining our expertise. So that's when the first job happened after post-graduation. Okay, that looks like a tough journey, but you made it and you found yourself a research job at Coimbatore. Can you tell us um, a little bit about your research project in Coimbatore? So this was very um, uh, random, if I can put it that way, because like I said, I was struggling. So I had sent my uh, resume or CV to everybody I knew. So one of my friend who was not even in the architecture field put across a word to her friends. And so they, uh, the person works in uh, Coimbatore where I also did my research. And she got in touch and um, she offered a teaching position rather than research. And the best part was I did tell that I'm not very keen on teaching. I would be fine with probably a visiting uh, professor profile. But then she said that uh, because I had put in that I have I have a degree from Erasmus University. They were dealing with a research project which had links with the Erasmus Plus program and they were the main uh, financiers for this uh, research project. So the research uh, project is called Building Inclusive Urban Communities, in short, BINUCOM. They just saw that on the CV and they called me and they said, listen, since you are already linked and you know the context, I think you should come over and do this research for us. By then, I think the research project was already a year and a half or not close to two years into its inception 
can we go a little more into depth about binocom and what you did with regards to the project so binocom was a collaborative effort of seven universities four were from uh, india and three from europe so the role of european university was to guide the indian counterparts as well as review at the same time uh, they would also capacitate us in different arenas that we are still not probably up to mark in as the name itself says building inclusive urban communities we were Uh, uh, streamlined in such a way that firstly all the four indian universities so we had the context of ahmedabad uh, in gujarat we had the context of mumbai in maharashtra we had the context of vijayawada in andhra pradesh and we had the context of coimbatore in tamil nadu the four cities had to prepare something called as a city profile so that's the starting point of this research project where we had to document the city document in terms of different uh, layers that i was telling you that a city holds whether it's the economic or the administrative or culture the industries and the people the social infrastructure that is around and of course the historical content on how the even uh, how the city came into existence and how the city grew in these four contexts we had to look into the in the informal sector and devise research questions out of it so each university had to come up with four different research works so in this course i got to do two research projects of course concentrating on the informal settlement the first one i did was on health and well-being of a informal settlement very close to a lake body so the vulnerability that they hold in terms of the physical environment as well as the social environment and the sort of impacts it has on their health and well-being was studied and the next one dealt with how people from different informal settlements were uh, resettled into uh, big blocks of apartments and uh, these informal settlements had set up their livelihood in their in the center of the city and um, suddenly due to different reasons and also uh, there's this interesting factor of smart city in coimbatore so on on different lines these um, informal settlements were shifted to uh, the outskirts or the fringes that we call in that transition i wanted to look into how it impacted their livelihood so they had to of course pay a lot for uh, transport or going back to their older uh, uh, areas where they resided because most of their jobs were in and around the area where they resided a lot of women lost their jobs because uh, those who worked as domestic helps uh, now stayed 10 kilometers away from the place of work so it it became pretty tedious the school goers or the school children suffered because of the distance they had to travel so these sort of obvious impacts were uh, studied in depth to s- to see if it has really impacted them and if it has then uh, in what degree or to what scale and uh, like i said as part of this deal i had to teach in the university so i was teaching as well as doing my research i was a full time professor as well as uh, i continued to do this research seems like a lot of work doing your research understanding the impacts of the displacement and also working on your teaching uh, profile great hiran 
So um, I want to talk a little more about your research project in the sense that how did it impact the community that you worked with? Did you engage them in any way? Definitely. Um, the interesting part of such communities is as soon as you try and approach them, they get scared. That one reason might be the um, the intervention government always has in their life in terms of probably eviction without notice. So they're always uh, very scared and that's what makes them vulnerable. And also, of course, there is this bigger issue of trust. Do they really trust anybody who comes into their area. So we need to understand as academicians or even as experts on how to deal with this. So very interesting uh, aspect in both the cases, I'll tell you, because my first case dealt with health and well-being, our entry into this community was through a health camp. So we said, we will do something for you. And in return, we just need a little bit of help. We are just trying to collect some information. It would be great if you could give us that information. So we conducted health camp where we tried to build that trust. And of course, it was a successful one. A lot of people helped us. And this, uh, these settlements where we worked in are nearly 20 to 30 years old. So they are used to health camps, but the the kind of uh, health camp, let's say if it's a health camp from the government sector, it very much concentrates on maternity care and uh, women health. Uh, so there are they have already streamlined it. But this time we kept a very general health camp where everybody was allowed. We try to understand their living conditions through one, their lifestyle, which is very difficult for them to open up about. We knew that we couldn't get uh, lifestyle issues directly from the residents. That is how we made use of this health camp where the doctor himself would ask. And, and, and these communities had greater trust levels with the doctor rather than strangers. So even if the doctor would ask about their habits that comes out of the culture or tradition, all these were sort of the sensitive issues were uh, answered. By the end of it, it is also what you give back to these communities. So when we were dealing with the residents or the resettled uh, people, in terms of uh, infrastructure, they, they were uh, far better off than where they were originally inhabited. But the only problem they had was with respect to the maintenance of the apartment blocks. So these were very badly um, kept. As an intervention from our side, we kind of created an awareness drive to understand how cleanliness is important. The layout that the government had provided was designed and well enough to have rainwater uh, collection pits and rainwater culverts where you know it could recharge groundwater. So all these interventions were really good, but um, it is this lack of awareness that the people didn't know what or how to use these spaces. So uh, invariably you would see all these culverts blocked with garbage and uh, stagnation again. So were we actually looking into a slum sort of an, um, a scenario in an urban context? Again, even after re resettling them and giving them with 
better infrastructure? No. We would rather want them to maintain this well and take responsibility for the same. So uh, we arranged for a cleanliness drive. So a lot of my students came along and we cleaned up their entire area and tried to give them awareness on segregation of waste and understanding uh, the importance of keeping their uh, surroundings clean. So this is one of the, I would say, return gift for the favor they have done. And I still hope a small, tiny bit of actually affected them and then brought out change. Wow, that's really interesting. The number of dimensions that you have to cover when you say yeah. like urban planning or urban design. As a person outside of your field, I probably would just assume buildings, but you have to go into different aspects, like you said, health and well-being, socioeconomic development and all of that. So I think it's a great work that you guys are doing. I had no idea. Thank you. Yeah, it would be so impactful. Mm. But I'm sure like you wouldn't be able to take further action apart from your research. So you would have to involve some kind of stakeholders like is the government involved at some level because they are ultimately the ones who will have to apply these changes. Yeah, that's right. So the uh, research project also looked into it. A lot of conferences and we call them as uh, decimation uh, workshops where the information that we have collected or analyzed or the data that we have was supposed to be presented to the different stakeholders to say, look, this is how your city is working and this is how probably you need to bring about a change and probably this is the arena that you need um, a lot more efforts put in. And it was not just the government, all the stakeholders, including the residents and then the different administrative uh, heads within the neighborhood or let's say welfare associations, all of them were called at some point or the other and informed about what was actually happening. And we also had a lot of conferences in between where one was in um, I think uh, Danube University, which is our main parent partner. And one was in Vijayawada that I attended. Um, so these these conferences were held in different stages, whether it was during the development of the research itself or by the end of the research. So in either case, we had to present it in a with, to a team of experts who would review what we had done and also give us some sort of an idea on how to um, develop the research. So during these conferences, we of course had the other partner universities. So people from Mumbai, Ahmedabad and Vijayawada were there. And the biggest challenge we had in, in the city of Coimbatore is it's... Um, very small city when compared to the other three that I spoke of and it's a, it's categorized as tier two cities still. So the rate of urbanization or the complexities of urbanization that you see in the context of Mumbai, Ahmedabad or Vijayawada is not seen in Coimbatore. So that is one thing. But on the other hand, the biggest disadvantage we had is there was a lack of primary data. So whatever we were collecting actually became primary data. That's how we went about it also. And the biggest problem that a city like Coimbatore has is it tries to ape the bigger cities. No, let's say Chennai on one side because it's in the same state. But in terms of its proximity to Bangalore, Coimbatore has a lot more um, influences from Bangalore, whether it is the culture or the way of life. 
Chennai, it apes only when the government is involved. So there is a slum clearance board that sits in Chennai and decides what should happen in Coimbatore. So it's a more or less like a repetitive model for the entire state. They don't look at it as context-based intervention. They very much generalize it to the state level. So yeah, the decision-making power for Coimbatore lies in Chennai, but um, the so-called uh, social changes or uh, influences, it draws a lot from Bangalore. Um, so you said that you've presented your research with respect to smaller cities internationally. How was the response or did you see any interest internationally for architects or institutions that want to come into India and explore Tier 2 or smaller cities? Right. The response was really good, uh, to be frank, because like I said, the experts in the European context already know about Mumbai. So as soon as you type India in Google, the first thing that you're going to see is the Haravi slum of Mumbai. They are already well aware of the context of Mumbai and to a large extent Ahmedabad because of institutions like SEPT, which is a center of environmental planning and all these places which have been there for decades now that have been um, bringing out graduates of urban planning. So uh, these cities are very well known for the Europeans as well. So in understanding the southern context, especially the context of Coimbatore, was pretty uh, exciting for them as well. And they did realize that we were trying to create new data or starting from scratch. Parallelly, there was another research project of the uh, European counterparts with the African country. There was one conference where this uh, research, the uh, African counterparts came and participated and they were really excited about what we were doing in India and what we were doing in these four different cities. So the response has been pretty good and I think overall they were happy with what we have done. That's great. So there are opportunities if you are an international researcher or architect, then definitely I think you can go explore what India has to offer. Okay, um, let's switch gears now and talk a little bit about your teaching experience. For a while, I think you worked in private firms as an architect and now you're in a different arena and you're actually teaching people in classes. Um, what has your experience been so far? How do you like it? Do you, do you have some likes and dislikes in this profession? Um... There are more likes than dislikes, I would say. <laughs> and uh, one... Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, the only aspect I would say that I like it more is because it is giving me this window of um, conducting research. The profession in the practical sense, if I were working in a firm, I don't think I would have got the time as well as um, the sort of dedication that I would need for research. But being in the academic arena, it intrigues you. It might just be a simple question from one of your students that would make you wonder and go in depth to understand why is this even a matter of concern. I was a little skeptical, like I said, in the beginning to take up teaching, but, but because it was part of the deal that I had to get into, I took it up. And um, I think I slowly also realized that I was not too bad at it. And it sort of um, gave me this 
uh, or rather it pumped a lot of energy into me in understanding research or the the impact research has um and i realized that i love research during teaching i'm still teaching so that still gives me this platform where i can develop my research abilities now let's move on to the last section of our talk are you ready for your rapid fire questions oh yeah. okay i'm a little nervous now <laughs> you can take your time right okay okay your first question what is the best advice you have given someone oh wow <laughs> what's the best advice i've given i wouldn't call it an advice but i would insist on people having some sort of discipline in whatever they do the so called discipline is not what i would say or i would term it it is more in terms of how they would organize themselves in that particular sequence that they would call it as discipline so i think for any person or a personality to grow discipline is key okay mondays or fridays fridays actually not even friday because i work on saturdays so. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, then I would say Monday. <laughs> What alternative career would you have if not for your current one? Uh I think I would be in the humanities or some sort of a social service sector. Awesome. Yeah, that's close to what you're doing, but yeah. Okay. Phew. That was not bad. <laughs> that ends our session for today hiran thank you so much for being there <laughs> you're you did great <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you for being on the show thank you so much and teaching all of us a little more about the different dimensions of architecture right yes i think it is high time that uh, students of architecture realize that there is much more than built forms <laughs> That is it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. Let me know by giving us a review on iTunes or Spotify or any other platform that you're listening on. The show notes have links to my guests and all the things that we just spoke about. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast because I will be back next week with another amazing women in STEM.